And we are live. So, uh, welcome to episode 122 of An American Werewolf in New Jersey. I am the American Werewolf. Uh, in the house tonight, we've got returning Sydney from the Cinema Cities podcast. Uh, she was here with us once before, and uh, I'm very pleased to have her back. Uh, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Um, we were just talking before uh, we went on, uh, you know, that it's important to have a channel that talks about the things that you want to talk about. Um, and so my this channel here, uh, predominantly a horror channel, but also sci-fi and thrillers. And there's a lot that you can do with thrillers. Um, you can, And so I decided to dedicate an entire summer to crime thrillers. And this was one of the first movies that popped into my head. Um, I caught it, uh, as I was telling you a couple of minutes ago, uh, on Netflix, um, just by chance. I hadn't heard from, I hadn't heard about it at all and was just stunned. Um, it's just, it's fantastic. Um, and it is hell or high water. So if you're ready to go, uh, shall we get it going? Let's go. Boogie woogie. So this is from, this was screen written by Taylor Sheridan. And Taylor Sheridan wrote a trilogy of films dealing with the modern American frontier. The first movie that he wrote was Sicario, um, which is just a fantastic um, action thriller about the U.S. government uh, combating and the dirty war that they're sort of fighting with the Mexican cartels. The second movie um, is this, Hell or High Water. The third movie is a more recent film called Wind River that I haven't seen yet, um, but it's about uh, a murder that takes place on a Native American reservation. So, you know, the classic Western trope of what happens on the frontier and the rough and you know rough sort of lifestyle, you know, it is something that isn't prevalent in American cinema that much anymore. Um, you don't see westerns, and we were talking about this when we were talking about franchises. The western has kind of gone away, with few exceptions. Films like this. So what Sheridan wanted to do was to look through a modern lens of what's going on in the 21st century on the American frontier, as opposed to the 19th century or whatever and see what life is like. Um, it's a rough take. Um, I haven't seen Wind River, but I have seen Sicario, and now we're here to talk about this. Um, it, it's rough living, I guess, on the frontier nowadays. It's very bleak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this movie is, 
the, the films that we typically talk about, although I, I always go with the film that has a plot, I stay away, you know, in the horror genre from non-schlocky sort of things. Every once in a while we get into it just for a laugh or something like that. But I try to talk about, um, you know, films that have a story, you know, good performances, this, that, and the other. Because um, there are tons of other channels that talk about blah, blah, and blah, A, B, and C. So, you know, I don't do that here. But as I was watching it, and this is the only the second time I've seen it, um, it struck me that this movie is actually about something, something more. Um, and you've got uh, cycles of poverty um, and all of the things that come from just a never-ending cycle of poverty. You've got crime, you've got despair, you know, you've got violence, um, you've got shame, um, you know, all these tragic, you know, sub-threads that just are part and parcel of you know, growing up poor and living poor and not being able to rise out of it, which is sort of counter to the, the quote unquote American dream, you know, that you could, you know, pull yourself up and, and get yourself out of there. You know, they're showing this never ending spiral. Um, you know, you have the old argument, does the ends justify the means? Um, these sorts of things, because, um, you know, it's like when someone is doing something to you, uh, you know, they're the bad guy. But, you know, perhaps from another perspective, when someone else is, do when you're doing it, then, you know, you have a, a rationale, at least in your head, that I'm doing this for the right reasons or for a good reason. Um, that sort of thing. Um, it, it starts off right in the get-go uh, where they're showing this uh, message that's painted on the walls. Um, of this one building, and it's in graffiti, and it says three tours in Iraq, but no bailouts for people like us. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, it's very much an us versus them sort of mentality, um, which are things that typically aren't covered on this show. So I don't know what you were thinking, but I mean, did, did you catch any of that? What did you see? Because you said that, I mean, you mistakenly thought this was a different movie. Hello? Uh-oh. Did I lose you? Well, okay. Um, we seem to have lost oh, Sydney. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can see you and hear you. Can you see me and hear me? <laughs> now I can, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so okay. maybe this is our one text nafu. So what did you, what, what were your first impressions? Because we said that you know, this wasn't the movie that you thought it was. You thought you agreed to a different movie. So you saw this for the first time. Yeah. Uh, what, what were your initial impressions? Uh, well, my initial impression was it reminded me a lot of um, movies from the 70s. Okay. So I got a vibe, like this very bleak vibe of maybe a little Dog Day Afternoon, a little Dillinger with Warren Oates, but also a little like one false move. I don't know if you've seen that from no. uh, the nineties, Carl Franklin okay. crime drama. And I was very much aware of this was the dying West. Okay. I, like, I'm still with you. Yeah. The West, the West as shown in those films that set the genre is gone. It's, it's dead. And this yeah. is what's left of it. And there are people who are fighting against really large, overwhelming 
forces, like economic forces, social forces, just trying to get by. And that's forcing them into situations where it's, yeah, it's do, how do I, how do I deal with what's happening to me when I feel like I don't have any control? Yeah. Um, the, the, the frontier has changed, but the, the hard people are still there. Right. You know, and whereas once in the classic Western trope, you would have seen, you know, people conquering the West here, you know, they're just trying to survive, you know, and, and they're not doing a great job of it. Hold on. I'm having some camera trouble. So hold on. I'm going to just shut this down. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So I'll come back to that in a second. But I mean, what I thought also was happening was that, you know, like the people hadn't changed. You had sort of a retro look at the way men are portrayed in yeah. this film, because basically it's about two sets of brothers, biological brothers, and then two brothers that are connected by occupation, the Texas yeah. Rangers. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a classic masculinity that you don't see in a lot of modern screenwriting. You know, in a more modern Western, you know, people will be talking about how they're afraid. And of course, I'm afraid, you know, and this sort of thing. This, even though it's in it's set in, you know, 21st century, these people aren't a part of that. Um, you know, they the, the men don't say much about how they actually feel. So depending on how you feel about that, you know, I saw one person say, well, you know, it's kind of tragic that they don't do that. You know, another person saying, well, you know. Okay, you know, this is an old, this is an old school Western. Um, but despite the fact that um, the men aren't terribly expressive of their emotions, there's a lot of love there um, between the two sets of brothers. Yes. Um, and I, I just thought that it was, oh, geez, this camera just isn't focusing for some reason. Um, I just thought that that was a fantastic um, example of writing uh, from Taylor Sheridan. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is I like that there was, um, everything that all the information that we got about these relationships, it came naturally. It wasn't exposition, exposition, exposition. It was through like, no. you know, the sort of joke, jokey and playfulness between the, uh, sheriff and, and his friend. Oh, God, yeah. I can't remember the name. Jeff uh, you've got uh, Marcus and Alberto, yes, uh, played, Marcus by, and Alberto. Uh, Jeff, played by Jeff Bridges and uh, a native actor, Gil Birmingham. Gil Birmingham, that's right. So their yeah. relationship, we get to see their closeness. They don't ever say it, like you said, but it's between the gentle, the, the kind of harsh ribbing that they do between each other. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, and same there's... with the brothers, same with the brothers. But it, it doesn't spell it all out for us, you know, and, and the history of those relationships comes out naturally. Yeah, and you've got Chris Pine as Toby and Ben Foster. And Ben Foster is, to me, uh, one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, if Ben Foster's in a movie, I'm watching it. And he was in 310 to Yuma, That's what which was say. the movie I think he thought we were watching. I'm like, yeah. oh, Ben Foster's in it. This is the movie. And no, it's not that movie. But um, he's great in that one, too. Oh, he's fantastic. Um, he hits it out of the park in just about everything. Uh, I'm a huge Ben Foster fan. So you've got the setup with Chris Pine as uh, Toby, who's, he's a grounded guy, never committed a crime in his life. Um, 
but he owns he owes a, a ton of money in child support. He's divorced. Um, he, you know, he's carrying around a lot of guilt and shame for the money that he owes, and he hasn't seen his son in a year because he's ashamed because he hasn't been able to to provide, you know, in, in the classical male sense. Um, he's been taking care of his mother, um, who died of cancer. Um, he took out a reverse mortgage, it looks like, uh, to pay for the hospitals, um, the hospital bills and the medical expenses and just to live. But, you know, there's also a heavy indictment of the banks, you know, and, and the way that the banks sort of lowballed them with the amount of money that they offered and basically set them up to fail um, with this loan, uh, which he has. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got his brother. Um, played by Ben Foster Tanner, who is a career criminal. Um, you know, again, as part of the cycle of poverty, these brothers grew up with a, an abusive father that's talked about um, with great dialogue. They, Tanner killed his own father um, to prevent the abuse from going on any further. So, I mean, there's just a never ending spiral. Um, that's and you know all these offshoots of these people whose lives have been kind of ruined, um, and you know Tanner as the older brother has sort of been living in this martyrdom for years. You know, going to prison to save his family, and now coming out because uh, Chris Pine has this idea that they can rob banks um, to pay off the loan from the bank and the interest, which is like forty three thousand dollars. Which by no, I mean it's a lot of money, but in in, in a sense, it's like it's like a pittance, you know, um, you know, but for them, it might as well be a half a billion dollars. Right. And They're so oil. far away. And there's oil on that land and the bank knows it. There's oil on the land. Yeah. The bank's pushing heavy to foreclose, um, you know, so what they want is to pay the bank off, put the the lien in a trust if I'm, if I have this correctly, so that it can go to Chris Pine's children. So they're, they've got this altruistic plan. It almost sort of reminds me of a serious version of the Blues Brothers, where they're trying to save that, they're trying to save that children's orphanage, yeah. you know, we're on a mission from God, you know, it's like that. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got uh, Jeff Bridges as Marcus, the, these two Texas Rangers and his partner, um, Alberto and Jeff Bridges is at the end of his career. He's a widower. He, he, you can basically summarize it. Like after he retires, he's not going to have anything to live for. Like he, he has, he doesn't seem to have any friends. He doesn't have any family. Um, you know, and again, you know, coming from that generation that doesn't know how to express that. So he just works. And then you've got Alberto, uh, who is his half Mexican Native American partner, who just takes nothing but abuse. This is true, and, yes. <laughs> and ribbing and racist comments that are, it, it's very strange. It could, oh, Jeff Bridges is just fantastic in this and that he just delivers these racist comments, but they're done with, like you could tell that he loves he the guy. Him. Yeah, he yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like his little brother or something, you know, and he just be, smacks the hell out of him verbally like all the time, but it just comes from this position of love, which is kind of how, I mean, I, I'm not a modern guy. I mean, it's kind of how men, you know, sort of act around each other. You know, you just insult the living hell out of each other. And that's what it means to 
you know, to interact, you know, and to show affection, that kind of thing. So, I mean, you've got just this great setup um, with these four characters, uh, two sets of brothers um, trying to raise a certain amount of money. And, uh, you know, they're sort of fighting the system. Yeah. So, I mean, what did you think up to this point? Uh, I mean, I, what did you think about the characters? I mean, anything. I thought, well, I wouldn't start with the opening bank robbery scene because, you know, usually, lately, mostly in films, when you see a heist, it's high-tech heist. They've got the earpieces in. They've got a van across the street with all yeah. the logistics and there's someone coming in and, and there's a, you know, Ocean's Eleven type stuff going on. Yeah. This yeah. was a bumbling heist, small yeah. time heist. And. Hello. Uh oh. <laughs> With it all the way to the end after that. Uh, you're not going to believe this, but you froze through that the entirety of that. Oh, no. That's okay. It's the internet. You can go again. <laughs> the internet. Shame. Anyway, I was saying the small scale heist. <laughs> Usually we see the Ocean Eleven type heist in the movie. Right, 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 right. right. You said bumbling. We got the bumbling and then. Yeah, the bumbling sort of low scale. Low... It's almost. No, no, no. Sydney. Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Okay. <laughs> so it's just like two guys in the small dusty town and they're just hoping to get away with it. And then yeah. from that point on, I was sucked into the movie and I was saying I, I was on for the ride to the very end. Here's the thing that I noticed about this too. In the bank, like the people, like and you're right. If you were to watch like Michael Mann's Heat, you know, with like a classic bank robbery or something like that or Ocean's Eleven, here... I mean, even the even the customers are poor. You've got that old man who's just putting all he found. He's like, you know, I didn't know where I was going to pay for my next whatever. And then, you know, he finds this enorm enormous jar of coins. Yeah. You know, some of which may actually be worth something, but he can't afford to wait that long. He needs the cash now. Right. So throughout the movies, there's just this repeating message of how desperate these people are. And even you know the bank employee, like in that first robbery, she's like, you can walk away right now. You haven't really done anything wrong. She's got almost forgiving of the fact that they're yeah. trying to rob her bank. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a rapport, you know, that that's, that's happening between the citizens of the towns and the bank robbers. And there's actually a sympathy and an empathy uh, for the robbers. You know, that, that one man, when Jeff Bridges goes to interview the men in the diner, you know, he's like, I just think it's funny that this bank that's been robbing me for 30 years, finally, you know, somebody robbed it. Yeah. You know? And the waitress who doesn't want to give her tip, she got tipped the money from the robbery. But she's like, you don't have proof that that money was from that robbery and I need to pay my mortgage. Right. Right. So, you know, there's this idea that all of these people are kind of on the same side. No one's gone far enough to commit a violent act, but everyone can clearly relate to 
you know, the need to do something now to change your station. Right. You know, that this isn't, I mean, it, it, and here's where it divides a little bit because the difference between Chris Pine, who's much more grounded, and Ben Foster, who's kind of this live wire, and, and you can see the difference. Yeah. You know, he's having a little too much fun. Yeah, he's liking it a little bit too much, and you already know that it's going to lead to disaster. Yeah, he, he's not stable. Right. He's not stable. He's not a stable person, and you're giving him a gun, and you're putting him in a high-tension situation, you know, with, like, lives and live bullets and things like that. And you can see uh, that at some point, you know, the, the wheels are kind of going to come off. So, I mean, they're very smart, though. I mean, they're only taking the fives and the tens and the twenties. They're not taking the big bills, um, this sort of thing. Um, but, oh, God, here we go. This is just tech all Okay, Here we go. I'm back. But, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just a fantastic piece of writing that they're constantly showing you, you know, instead of telling you, which, you know, I, I used to be an English teacher and I would constantly tell my students and they never listened to me, you know, show me, you know, don't tell me, I know it's going to take longer. I don't care, you know, and this is just um, fantastic. Um, all of this for $43,000, mm -hmm. um, you know, and they're just taking off these small banks they're not going into the into the big cities. You know, they're they're laundering it through these casinos. They're taking the cash, um, you know, trading them in for chips, pretending to gamble um, and then cashing the chips back in again. Yeah. So smart. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and Ben Foster is also very intelligent. It's just he's he's a career criminal and he's a risk taker. And, you know, he's sort of like this, you know, adrenaline junkie. Yeah, and I think he kind of knows what his fate is going to be. Or yeah. or he's he's working very hard to make that fate that a reality. Because what do they know, call that? A self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. Because when he goes so they go to this this town after they've robbed a bank, um, and they're having steaks or whatever, and then there's a bank across the street, which yeah. is not in the plan at all. That bank no. is, they have a list of banks that they're gonna rob, but he tells his brother, I'm going to go to the bathroom, meet me out front. Right. And then he goes and he robs the bank by himself across the street. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, Tanner, why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, what you said right there, Tanner, why? Why? Is a great example of how effective the performances and the writing are because you end up rooting for the bank robbers. Yep. You end up rooting for the bank robbers um, in this very understandable way, you know, and throughout the whole movie, you know, you're not exactly sure who to root for here. You know, right. uh, it, it's very, it's very complicated. It's a complicated story um, that Sheridan uh, narrated here, you know, that, that he wrote out. It's um, all very much shades of gray. There's no, no one's completely good. No one's completely bad. I mean, even no. their own lawyer, their, even their own lawyer knows what's going on. And he's just, he's like, I'm rooting for you. Screw the banks. Yeah, there's a, there's a class, there's a very specific and tangible class argument um, that's occurring here. Um, so that brings us to, to Jeff Bridges and uh, his partner, 
who are interviewing all these people and having these kind of comments. A lot of the movie sort of, even though it has these, you know, brief robbery scenes, you know, has a sort of comic feel to it. Dark because comedy. You just, yeah, because, yeah, it's dark comedy because yeah. you're kind of watching the exchanges between, you know, uh, Tanner and um, Tanner and his brother, Toby, I think it is. Yeah, um, Toby. Yeah, but then you're also watching the exchanges between Jeff, the two Rangers, and it's just nothing but insults, you know. He's calling him an engine, you know, and, you know, you got, you know, luckily if something happens to me, I'll, you know, have a savage, you know, uh, seeking <laughs> revenge on me if you could stay off the bottle long enough because, you know, I mean, it's just these pointed jabs like all the time. But the plan that that Jeff Bridges has is to start staking out the remaining banks understanding that these he seems to pick up right away that these guys are deliberately hitting small branches. So eventually, um, you know, he's just going to hopefully get ahead of one of them and then wait for them to just arrive there. Um, and, you know, Jeff Bridges is dealing with, like I was saying, this, this sort of difficulty that he, he, he kind of has nothing to live for. His work is his life. Yeah. His, well, and, and, and that's, that's, that's kind of the problem. Yeah. And again, it's something you only pick up through inference because these guys don't talk about their feelings. Um, and so, you know, you can only infer, yeah, this man has three weeks to, he, he has like three weeks left on the yeah. job, you know, and he's clearly older. Um, he talks about how he's widowed. Um, you know, there's no mention of any children or grandchildren or, you know, that he's dating. I mean, he's got nothing but this. And so it almost reminded me, have you seen um, Mr. Mercedes? No. Mm -mm. If you get a chance, at least the very first season, it's a Stephen King story, but it's essentially a crime story. Uh, it's not supernatural. And it's about this retired police officer um, who is struggling to find meaning in his retirement because I think guys don't plan very well for the, for their retirement. You know, they'll just retire. And then so I remember, you know, I, I hate to bring this up, but you know, like my dad did that. His retirement was just to stay at home. And it like drove my mom crazy. That was my dad's retirement too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, that's not a plan, man. You know, like, aren't you, are you, are you going to go somewhere or are you gonna, you know, six months somewhere or anything? No, I just, I'm just going to stop. You know, and then, you know, suddenly like 50 hours a week, he had 50 hours a week to fill, you know, with no clue as to how to fill it. And you're just, I'm like, yeah, guy, guys don't always plan the, the best retirements. And so this guy clearly has no plan. And, you know, um, Alberto is busting on his job saying he's just going to be sitting in the rocking chair. Yeah. Or you fishing know, every day. Yeah, fishing every day. And he's like, I don't, he has like, he doesn't even, he's like, I don't like it enough to do it every day. <laughs> You know, he's like, no plan. And then there's that one scene where he just goes out to sit on the porch and watch the sun come up outside the hotel. You know, and, and you can kind of tell that's what his life is going to be. And it's not going to it's not going to go well. You know, that kind of thing. But eventually. Um, they end up stumbling into. 
each other. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. And wasn't that so, I mean, that was, the, I, I was getting anxiety <laughs> watching that, watching that scene yeah. the, from the, from the bank robbery, from the last bank robbery, which does, does not go as planned understatement. Yeah. yeah. All the way through to the final chase. Cause the, oh, that was great. That was some tension building movie right there. Yeah. Th there was one thing I, I wanted to get into. I want to hop back real quick though. And there's that one, statement from Alberto, um, because I think Alberto was part Comanche. And there's also an exchange between Ben Foster and a Comanche mm -hmm. ben in the Fa casino. And, and Tanner makes a couple of comments about uh, the Comanches and their creed and their way yeah. of life. Because he, 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 he's talking to that one guy at the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, he goes, you're a Comanche. And he goes, doesn't that mean Lord of the, Lord of the Plains? And he goes, you know, now it's just, it's the Lord of nothing. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't have anything anymore. You know, it's a casino and I'm gambling and, you know, I'm winning a couple of bucks and, you know, the, that way of life is gone. And so I, I think that's, you know, also part of the story here and that, you know, this frontier life is just, it's passing into history. You know, these are the last bits of it, you know, here and there. Um, Okay, if I just want to interject something else yeah, too, about ahead. the passing. Remember when the uh, uh, Alberto is driving the truck and they get stopped by the cattle? And yeah. The 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 guy on the horse who's rounding the cowboy, up the cattle, yeah. cowboy on the horse is he's rounding up his cattle because there's a fire, and he's basically like, "Can't believe I'm doing this. My kids don't want to do this. What am I doing this for?" Yeah. The kids don't want my my way of life. The kids don't want this job. What's the yeah. point of all of this? Yeah, he goes, I'm driving a bunch of cattle to get away from a bleep, you know. A, and, you yeah, know, in the 21st fire. century. In the 21st yeah. century, yeah. Yeah, he's like, what the hell am I doing? You know, there's Alberto uh, saying that, you know, we once owned all of this. You know, and the place we were yesterday, you know, 80 miles from here, we owned all of that. You know, and then somebody in that bank, their grandfather decided that we, they were going to take it. So they took it from us. And now someone's taking it from them. He goes, but it's not an army. It's just the banks. Mm -hmm. You know, so that that even that, you know, what what the frontier life had turned into, which was basically small town life. You know, is sort of is is fading into history, you know, yeah. except for those last gaspers that, you know, don't know anything else. And everyone that you meet in this. In this movie. You know, you can tell they aren't going anywhere, you know, from that waitress with the $200 tip um, to the um, the one waitress um, who says, you know, what don't you want? That uh Oh, did I lose you again? Hello? Uh -oh. I'm back. You, Hello. You're back. <laughs> I'm back. You know, I, I'm watching this on, on a completely different thing. I'm watching this Netflix series. It's a German series called Dark. Oh, my gosh. My sister keeps telling me to watch that. She loves that show. Oh, man. I'm just about to finish the first uh, season, and it's just about people going back and forth in time. And so I just, like, was watching the last episode of the first season before I came on here. So that's what this is reminding me of. You're, like, disappearing into, like, 33 <laughs> years in the past. I'm back. Okay. You know, I'm back. I just, All right. I just went to 1957, and now I'm back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what there. It's set in three different times, 53, 86, and 2019. 
So it's like these constant 33-year jumps, you know, that are going on here. And you're like, okay, you know, maybe she's just, you know, <laughs> all right, you know, 1989. All right, no problem. It was a good year. It was all right. But, um, you know, um, you know, Alberto is saying that these, you know, these, you know, this sort of thing is now fading too, you know, and sort of the, the banks are sort of taking over everything. Um, and I think Taylor Sheridan was, um, he was, a, he grew up in West Texas. And so he wanted to, he said, you know, after many years, I think living in Hollywood or, you know, wherever it was that he was living, he went back there and he was stunned to see, you know, that all the towns were basically boarded up, you know, um, now in today's, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what you're seeing out there in St. Louis, but a lot of people you talk to, you know, sort of want to return to that with all the, you know, the craziness that's going on nowadays. You know, the, yeah. there's an appeal to a certain extent of that, you know, sort of small town thing, I guess, in that there's more security. I mean, you know, there's more stability. I, I don't. I think, it's com I think it's community. I, I actually live in a small town outside of St. Louis. Um, it's I mean, we're we're pretty rural, like you could drive and there's cornfields, and there's people like horses and whatever but we're close enough that people can work in st louis and we have an air force base so okay. um but it's very i mean it's a small town it's small town living it's tight-knit i mean we have a drive-in movie theater that's how small town we are and roller rinks <laughs> and I, ice cream I, parlors so <laughs> it's um i think the community aspect of it is is uh something people do yearn for because even in the suburbs, because I, I grew up in St. Louis, in the suburbs, it's still not the same kind of community. You might not even know your your neighbors. I mean, I know all my neighbors. Mm. I grew up uh, in a small town with a drive-in theater. Um, and you oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, yeah. I, I, did, I, I didn't see a movie um, inside an indoor theater until I was 12. Wow, so yeah. Two, two miles away. Was a drive-in theater. My parents, we went there every Friday. Yep. Um, now, you know, I, I went abroad for a long time, but now I'm back here, you know, to help out my dad. And uh, it, there are perks. And then I, I don't know. I, I think I got used to city living. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I agree. There's ups and downs. I think the reason I like it is because we're close enough. I mean, 30 miles from St. Louis is not, not, bad. not yeah. bad. I mean, that's some people's commutes, like in Atlanta. Yeah, from the suburbs. But I also have lived in big cities. So I think that, you know, I found a happy medium. I don't know if I had grown up here, I would feel the same way. That's, you know, right. I might feel differently if this was yeah. all I've ever known. Yeah. Um, I, the, most of the people that live here, they love it. You can't convince them it's not the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> you know, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, yeah. Having gone away and now kind of come back, um, you know, I, I'm kind of on the fence, but, you know, it, it relates. And I, I could understand with, you know, everything that you see in the news every day, you know, why why this would have, you know, a certain appeal, yeah. um, that sort of thing. So they get to the final robbery and it you can just tell the minute they walk into the bank, it's going to go badly. Even before they get in the bank, because the bank is huge. Yeah. And Thanks. it's two of them. They've yeah. got pistols. This isn't the team from Heat. This isn't. And we just covered uh, the Dark Knight last week. We started the first uh, crime thriller 
uh, series with the Dark Knight. It's a fun one, but it's a great crime thriller. But you've got like eight guys. Yeah. You know, to handle this massive bank and you've got buses and just over the top things. Here, you've got two guys in ski masks and pistols and Chris Pine doesn't know what to do. Um, you he know, doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do the bank. Yeah, but they need the money and yeah. they have to get it in there by Thursday. So there's no there's yeah, no there's option. No, right. They, they have to. they have no choice. But you can tell immediately that it's going to go bad. Um, somebody down on the ground is texting. Um, somebody else is reaching for their gun. Um, they rob the bank, but then they come outside and like four men, citizens, are just shooting at them, you know, with their own firearms. And you're like, what the hell is this? You know, Texas. And, <laughs> yeah, West Texas, West apparently. Texas. West Texas. So have you ever been to Texas? I have been to Texas. And it, it, it was this your experience? No, I, I was in San Antonio <laughs> and like Houston and Dallas. I was never out in like the out out in Texas, you know. And I assume you weren't robbing a bank. And I was not committing any crimes. You were not committing <laughs> any crimes. Okay, so there was no reason for anyone to shoot at you. You had a wonderful exactly. time, and you know, here we are talking about this now. But those guys, on the other hand, um, it goes south immediately. Yeah. And um, you know, Chris Pine gets shot. Um, and then they get away, but then Ben Foster pulls out that automatic rifle or semi-automatic rifle, and he just starts lighting them up. Like he goes full firecracker, you know, he goes full firework, you know, and just starts lighting into those citizens. He doesn't kill anybody. They end up killing, I think, two people. Yeah, in the um, bank, I think. In the bank, they kill the security guard and uh, the one guy who pulled his gun. Ben Foster kills both of them. Um, so now it, it's jumped to murder. They're, t they're you know, they've they've escalated into that. And even then, it's very strange. You sort of end up rooting for them. Yeah. You know, because you understand that the narrative has been dug so well as to why they're actually doing this, even though. You know, Ben Foster's doing it kind of for the for the thrill. They're also doing it to save this house so that they can break this cycle of poverty. And, you know, there's that scene where Chris Pine tells his son, you're going to hear some things about me. You know, he goes, no, I did it. You know, he's not they're not trying to dodge anything. Yeah. He tells them, don't be like me. Yeah. You know, be better. Mm -hmm. You know, because the son's like, well, I just won't believe it. He goes, no, believe it. You know, I did, I'm going, you know, I, I've done those things, you know, that kind of thing. And so you even get to the point where, you know, you see Chris and um, the two brothers together for the last time, Ben Foster. And, you know, there's that one scene where they kind of, you know, Ben Foster has to look away to tell his brother that he loves him. Yeah. You know, and, it, you know, Chris Pine says it back to him. And then they probably tell each other to fuck off, you know, <laughs> yeah. which, which is which is much that's much easier, you know, to communicate, you know, to tell your brother, you know, to go fuck off than you know to say that you know you love him, even though it's the last time that they're going. But I, I, I sort of like that that there wasn't that sort of um, narrative arc and into changing them into somebody that they weren't. No, it was consistent with their characters and their relationship from the beginning of the movie, yeah, to the very end. Yeah. Yeah. 
and um, you know, and and then Ben Foster just starts opening fire on everybody. Yeah, which and, is very sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty awful um, because Alberto gets it. Yeah, and you, it, this this was like the most tragic thing in the movie for me. Me too, because I really didn't think, I, I really thought that, I was like, okay, Tanner's going to go. We already know. He's got a death wish. Tanner's going to go. Maybe a, Toby. It, I, thought, I thought both of the, the Rangers would make it. I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know. I thought that Tanner, I, I knew that Tanner was going to die. There was yeah. no way. There was no way that he was going to survive that. There were just too many people. Mm -hmm. He's like one up against like a dozen men armed with rifles and, you know, two Texas Rangers and all that. I didn't see Alberto dying. I didn't either. And the most awful thing is that he dies while Jeff Bridges is insulting him. Yes. It's, it's like so mid sudden and it just yeah. happens. Yeah. He goes, why don't you go up there and hit him with a tomahawk or something <laughs> like that? And all of a sudden the round just comes and you're just like, you just feel you feel for Alberto, but for some reason, all my sympathy went to Jeff Bridges because he just ha must have felt like dying. You yeah. know, like like his friend just died, and this, his last words to him, you know, were to you know make some racial insult, you know, and and again, and again, uh, you know, you've got another two men who never talk about how they feel about one another. And one of them has just died right in front of the other before the other could ever say anything. Yeah. And it's just, it's awful to watch. And that sound that Jeff Bridges makes when he realizes that he's really dead. And yeah, I mean, and then, then Tanner isn't long for it after that. You know, they, they end up sneaking up behind Tanner. And then, you know, you know, Tanner comes back to that old Comanche. You know, saying "Lord of the Plains." Yep, and then he, you know, fights with us. Yeah, and he becomes exactly what that Comanche says, which is the Lord of Nothing. Yep. You know, and so you know, in many ways, I, I think Tanner is that the scene with Alberto was the most tragic, but I, I think Tanner was the most tragic character. Because yeah. this whole spiral of crime started with him trying to help his brother and his mother, who didn't seem to. Right. You know, there was this inference that mom sort of resented her son from killing the abusive father. Yeah. Remember, they said uh, he said it was a hunting accident. And then uh, Jeff Bridges was like, Yeah, who's hunting in the barn in April? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you get the idea. It's like, no, he, he, took, he took that guy out. Yeah, and there's just, you know, there's no escape for him. Yeah. You know, and yeah, you know, it's it's like 29 years he said or something, you know, plus 10 that he spent in prison. You know, so his life has just been this never-ending spiral of crime and sacrifice and no one no one recognizes that. Yeah. You know, except his brother. He's just another con. Ex except that he's not, you know, he's this person you know, and it's just, it's fantastic to watch. It's fantastic to watch. Um, they end up getting, they end up getting to save the farm. Yeah. And I really was pulling for Toby. I was talking to my TV 
Like, you better not let Toby die. He, yeah. he better get that farm. Yeah, yeah. And I love the scene where he has the interaction with the bank manager. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because he, that bank the, manager, he really thought that they were going to get that, that farm. Yeah, I mean, the bank manager was just a bastard. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, trying to slow down the... You know, I'll, I'll fax it to you by the end of the week. It is the end of the week. I want to see you do it right here in front of me. You know, he, he had to like, you know, oh, you've got an attorney. Okay. You know, it's just, he had to push through everything because the bank was really trying to get a hold of that piece of property. Yeah. I think they said it was pull, pulling out $50,000 a month. Yeah. Once they put the oil rigs on there. Yeah. And drilling. Yeah. So, Yeah. Which is basically what keeps Toby out of the jackpot because they can't figure out why someone would steal $43,000 when they're already making $50,000 a month. Yeah. And their you know, attorney, the, his attorney told him to set up his trust at the, the bank they were robbing. He's like, don't yeah. ever think you've been robbing those banks. <laughs> okay. So we're, uh, we're Toby and Tanner fans here. Yes, I, I guess, we are. You know? Team Toby yeah. and Team Tanner. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, if I when I rebroadcast or uh, put this up on Spotify tomorrow, I'm going to hashtag that. I'll put you <laughs> in there with Team Tanner, Team Toby. Definitely. Oh God. So um, we we come back and you know Jeff Bridges is now retired. They don't focus on him grieving a lot or anything because that would be inappropriate because he just that's not who he is. Right. You know he's going to keep it to himself. Um, but what comes up funny is when he's talking to that one marshal that's got his desk now, the waitress and the, the, uh, the dining patrons won't identify either of them, Toby or Tanner. They're, they're, they're like Robin Hoods yep. or something. And, you know, the people, no, I, it's not them. I, I don't recognize them. You know, it's just a small little detail, you know, that just keeps reinforcing these narratives, this us versus them kind of thing. You know, because while I'm sure they probably don't condone bank robbing. Or murder. Hate, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They hate the banks more. Yeah. They hate the banks more. Which is a sentiment that lots of people can sympathize with. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody really sympathizes with banks. Yeah. Yeah. Poor, especially the, the bankers. <laughs> Yeah, and especially in the light of and what we saw in that original graffiti, uh, no bailouts for us. Yep. You know, too big to fail. But I guess, you know, that doesn't count for us. You know, we can fail and, you know, just, you know, keep living the way that we're living because nobody gives a crap about us. Right. Um, that kind of thing. Um, and that comes back to um, the final confrontation between Jeff Bridges and Chris Pine. Um, which I just thought was fantastic. The first time I saw it, I was like, holy crap. Yep. You know, they're going to put these two guys together. And what Jeff Brit What did you think of that scene? I mean... I thought... First off, I thought it was genius because the subtext yeah. was there. I mean, it was strictly like... What do you mean? What do you mean by subtext? Well, we know that they're not really talking about, you know, I'll give you a rest or whatever. We know they're yeah. talking about either one of them's going to end up killing in the each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, they're not saying it, they're saying it, but they're not saying it. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was 
I liked it. I thought that was quite brilliant, especially because there's other people around. You know, his kids show up, his wife shows up. Um, ex-wife. Yeah, his ex-wife. That's right. She made well, sure that, to say that <laughs> she was yeah, the ex-wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and that was that was a great scene when him and uh, him and um, Ben Foster were talking. He's like, "You like him miserable and uh, ready to blame everybody else." You know, she's just got that look on her face like yeah. all the time. Like, yeah, you're like, she's okay, like ex-wife. Like, no. <laughs> But, um, and also I just, you know, I kind of thought, well, I mean, Jeff Bridges, I mean, he, he lost Alberto. I mean, there's still something in there. It's kind of like Alberto deserves justice. And at the same time, um, Toby has lost Tanner. Yeah. And Toby knows, knows that they, they did some bad stuff and he, I feel like he's the kind of guy possibly that would have, that's going to sit with him. I, I think that. I think that what ends up happening is that nobody wins. Yeah, no, no, that's 100% true. You know, nobody wins this. Uh, clearly, the, the Texas Rangers don't win it. Um, you know, Toby hasn't won anything. He's lost his brother. He's not really reunited. He's sort of reunited with his family, but not really. Um, he's got a, and both of them have to worry about one killing the other. Because mm -hmm. you know that's coming. You know, neither of them are going to be able to let it let it slide, or at least Jeff Jeff Bridges is not going to be able right. to let it slide. You know, it, it's too much for him uh, because there's there's nothing else. There's nothing else for him to do but sit on the porch, right? You know, um, but just that one. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a speech, but when Chris Pine talks about being poor, you know, and he's been poor his whole life. His daddy was poor. You know, they were people were poor before. It's like it's like a disease. Yeah. You know, and you just you just can't get rid of it. You know, and that's that's a good metaphor for the whole movie. You know, it's just they they couldn't they can't shake it off. You know, and well, even now, though they, he he's shaking it off for his kids. He's his shaking kids. it off for his kids, but not for him. Not for him, right? Not for him. And he's right. And Jeff Bridges is right. He's like, you know, you're never going to be free of this. It's going to haunt you for the rest of your life. You know, he's lost his brother. Just those, you know, those two scenes where, you know, um, he's in the casino and he sees the robbery on the TV, you know, and he realizes that his brothers died. You know, and Jeff Bridges is sitting on the porch in retirement watching people go by, you know, and then just, you know, the world is just passing him by. You know, life is just going right past. So, you know, the, there's really nothing left for these guys, you know, and, and that's just kind of how it ends. You know, it ends on this very ambiguous note, um, but I love it. I, I love, love an it. ambiguous I, ending. Yeah, yeah. I, I own this on Blu-ray. Um, how did you find it? Did you, it's you didn't have to, it's on okay, I, 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 you know, I should have asked that because I don't want people, you know, even for three ninety nine to have to spend money. Yeah. You know, I don't want people to do that. So I apologize for not asking in advance if you had access to it. Um, but okay. Yeah. I, I saw it on Netflix the first time today, uh, a couple of years later, maybe two, three years later is the second time that I've seen it still holds up. Um, can't recommend it enough. I, I don't see anybody. Um, or any particular channels that I'm watching. Uh, maybe, you, have you heard of anybody? I guess you hadn't because you thought it was a different movie. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I, I did because I was like, oh, Ben Foster, Western. 
And that, that's why I thought it was 310 to Yuma. Yeah, and that's a fantastic movie too. Um, but I like this. I would prefer this one. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen 310 to Yuma in a while. So, but this one really sat with me afterwards. It's good. It's good. It's good drama. It's great writing, great performances. Yeah, Chris um, Pine. I was, I was like, okay, Chris Pine. Good yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, because you're usually used to seeing him play Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. you know, or that sort of so-so movie where he played Robert the Bruce. Oh, um, yeah, I actually watched that movie. was so long. That's by the yeah. same director, I think, of, of this movie. Isn't it? No, the writer. Might... The writer. Is it Taylor Sheridan? No, no, wait. One of the, either the writer or director. Mackenzie. Mackenzie was the yeah. guy who directed it. Okay, he's, so a, he's, a, he's, a he's an Englishman. Bruce. Yes, he directed the Robert the Bruce movie. And that was okay. It just, you know, it's, you know, watching Chris Pine trying to do a Scottish, Scottish accent. accent. I mean, yeah. not, not that, not that I have a Scottish accent. Don't misunderstand me. So he's doing way better than I am, you know, <laughs> by, by, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But um, this was very much against type um, to see him play something quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a very quiet kind of movie, you know, with interspersed with, you know, brief periods of action and then, you know, some hardcore action, you know, towards the, last act but um yeah it's definitely against type yeah it's a very melancholy movie that's for sure yeah yeah it is yeah it's it's not something you're going to want to watch you know six weeks from now or something i gotta see that again (laughs) but you could come back to it's a good um sunday afternoon movie yeah you know when it's raining or something like that i could watch hell or high water yeah it's good stuff so um I think that that is as good a place as any uh, to bring this to a close. Did, was there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Oh, no, I think points? we covered it. I just want to say thank you for having me watch that because I uh, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's all my pleasure. The whole point of this um, show is to talk about movies that other channels are not. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't know that you hadn't seen it before. Uh, but if it worked out that way, then that's uh, that's doubly cool for me. It is. It was great. And I was thinking about making a video for it for my channel because it was so the West Texas landscape was such a part of this movie. That is very much a part of the standard Western trope. Yeah. Um, there are certain movies I feel that always should be seen on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, war movies, uh, science fiction and Westerns. You know, even if you go back to the old John Ford films like uh, The Searchers or something like that, I mean, that that scenery is just unbelievable. And even more modern films like, um, have you seen Hostiles? No, I have not. Would you like to team up for that one? Uh, If this is as good as this one, I will definitely. As good, if not better, believe it or not. And it has Ben Foster. Oh, look, (laughs) keep it going with the Ben Foster. Well, it just it happens to work out that way, and uh, if Ben Foster's in it, I'm automatically going to yeah. watch it. Um, and so this is that will be no exception. So if you're interested, yes, definitely, I am looking forward to it now. Okay, hostels then, hostels. All right, so I, I've got you back. Very cool. All right, um, do me a favor before you leave, plug something, tell people where they can find you, what you've got coming up. Uh, oh, maybe you're, okay. Um, you can find me at Cinema Cities on YouTube. That's my YouTube channel. Um, I actually just dropped a video. I think it was yesterday. I can't even remember because it took. <laughs> they all run together. Yesterday um, on my five favorite films from 1968. So that popped up yesterday, oh. and they're not the films that you would think of that came out in 1968. 
Okay. All right. I'll take a look at that. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, my thanks to uh, Sydney from uh, Cinema Cities, and uh, we'll have you. Yeah, we'll have you back on again for Hostels. I'm looking um, forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. If you thought this movie was something, wait till you see that one. That okay. is that's that's quite a story. Okay. Um, and I'll I'll talk to you about the about the date coming up. We'll we'll okay. set up a compatible date. Um, that's it for this show for this week. Um, next week, this Sunday, I will be on the IFC Midnights with Patrick for the Have Cheetah uh, channel uh, with a movie I haven't seen yet called See For Me on the 26th. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be interviewing a British actor, um, Scottish actor, I believe, um, named Scott Atherton. And Scott Atherton has had roles on The Crown and uh, Peaky Blinders. And he's also uh, a pretty established uh, voiceover actor. So that's going to be a real treat talking to him. And then on Thursday, we're going to have our uh, crime thriller for the summer of crime uh, for the week. We're going to be talking about uh, Mel Gibson's Payback. Um, which oh, is just, love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The director's cut or the Mel Yes, the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, the director's cut. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to that. I haven't seen it in a really long time. Um, and I've never seen the director's cut, but I own it on Blu-ray. So that's going to be, I got to watch the movie for Sunday uh, for Patrick's channel. But that's the one I'm really looking forward to. So, yeah, that's going to be a good time. All right. My thanks to Sydney once again. Uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.